0: Good morning. Well, we're back in the story of Solomon today, looking for wisdom, looking for life, looking for who we really are. Um, So let me ask you a question as we begin. I like to start with a question usually. Where do you look for wisdom? If you're putting up a set of shelves at home um, and you're not sure what kind of bolts you need, what kind of fixings you have, whether it should be something as, as chunky as that or whether something a little smaller will do, or where do you seek wisdom for that kind of thing? Would you go to YouTube? Would you ring up your dad? Um, would you, I don't know, call on a neighbour who you know is handy with that kind of thing? And what about more important questions of life? Like, um, what do I have for dinner tonight? Where do you go for wisdom, for ideas, for, um, for answers to your questions? But okay, right, serious questions. Really deep questions like, who should I marry? Or how do I stay married to this person who I, I'm really struggling to stay married to? where should I live? Um, What house should we buy? Should we buy a house now or should we wait for a little bit later? Should I take that job? Should I go for another? Should I stay where I am at the moment? Where do you find wisdom for some of the deepest and hardest questions in life? What about the really really big questions like, who am I? What am I here for? Where is the world going? What's my place in it? I wonder where you look for wisdom, for answers. Well we're gonna look in one place Um, for two things today. First, we're going to ask, where do you find real wisdom? Where do you find true wisdom? Because that's what Solomon is all about. And then question number two, where do you find yourself? Where can I find who I really am? Those are our two questions today. Where do we find wisdom? Where do I find myself? And we're going to look at um, 1 Kings chapter 10, and a very famous story when the Queen of Sheba visits Solomon. So if you want a kind of musical background to this, if you like, uh, you could Google um, the it's called The Arrival of the Queen of Sheba, a beautiful piece, piece by Handel. Uh, I've been having it in the background pre- preparing this week to try and get me in the mood for the story for today. Well, we're going to look at two stories. The first is where you find wisdom. The second is where you find yourself. First, we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1. So when the Queen of Sheba, now Sheba is probably where Yemen is today. So this is a long, long way east and um, a long walk from, from Israel. When the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. All the questions you've always wanted to ask. Where do you find the answers to those? Arriving at Jerusalem with a great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the Queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, The food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord. She was overwhelmed. Um, That literally says something, that word overwhelmed literally says something like, she had no breath left in her. There was just too much for her eyes to take in. Just too much for her brain to handle in terms of wisdom and knowledge. That all of her questions were answered with wisdom that she would never have guessed and she found it all at the feet of the king of the king of Israel God's chosen king the one who he'd put his wisdom in and given all these gifts the one who we've been saying over the last couple of weeks is a little bit like a new adam read on in the rest of the chapter and you'll find that he's got animals i mean apes and gorillas and lions and all sorts of things in his uh, in his kingdom Um, He's got a golden palace, a golden temple that is lined with beautiful wood and amazing carvings. And people are at peace. They're feasting all the time. They're building amazing stuff. They're at peace with their neighbours. There's wisdom has flowed out from the king and echoed out, not just to their own nation, but to the nations around, which are now at peace and quite happy with them often. And all the way out, as far as you can think of, to Sheba in the east, in the distant, dusty east. People have heard about the wisdom of God and they've come and it's even better than they could ever have asked or imagined. Listen to what the Queen of Sheba says after she's met God's king. She said to the king, the report I have heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I didn't believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed not even a half was told me. In wisdom and wealth you far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your men must be, how happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God, who's delighted in you and placed placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he's made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. She doesn't just see him, she sees God. In this land of peace, she finds way more than she could ever ask or imagine. At the foot of the king, she finds wisdom. There's your first lesson for today. Come to the king. Come to... Well, it's not Solomon anymore. He's dead and gone, long gone. But come to the the king that God has set on the throne of the universe. His name is Jesus. You'll find in him more than you ever asked or imagined, more than you ever guessed from your RE classes where they taught you a little bit about him, more than you could ever have guessed from the lives of Christians that you might know, now, more than you could have ever have guessed from little snatches of the Bible that you might hear and hymns sung in the rugby or rumours that you hear about him that I don't know, you watch in films or, or here in our culture, we haven't even been told the half of what there is in Jesus, of the wisdom that there is with him. That when you come to him, it'll cost you a lot. When you come to the king, you bring your best and you come to him and you say, Lord, help me. Answer my questions. Give me wisdom. Help me know who I am and where to go and what to do. And, and I don't know, we, but you know. Please give me wisdom. And, and what do you find when you Find him, way more than you bargained for. It'll take your breath away when you meet Jesus. And then verse 13, if you're following along, chapter 10, verse 13, King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired and asked for, besides what he had given her out of his royal bounty. Then she left and returned with her retinue to her own country. She comes from far, far away to the king, the true king who lives in a a golden, glorious land of peace. His name means peace, Solomon. And she goes home with way more than she bargained for, a heart that's full, that knows about God. I hope she's turned to God and we'll get to meet her one day in the resurrection. But, but her camels are full and her mind is full and her heart is full and, um, and her nation is enriched. Her community is better off because she's met the king. Have you met the king? Do you know King Jesus? Um, you might just want to stop and say, that's enough for me today. I want to come and get to know the King. Go and read Mark's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel in the New Testament and meet King Jesus. Come to him. Whatever it costs you, it'll be worth it. Whatever you know about him so far, it'll only be barely even half of what's really true about him. You won't be disappointed. It'll take your breath away. In fact, in many ways, it'll give you breath. It'll give you life. It'll give you wisdom. Why? Why? because God loves his king, because God loves his people. That's what could the Queen of Sheba concludes, isn't it? Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. That's what she says halfway through verse nine. He's made you king. He's given you this land and this place and this peace. What a good God he is. Come to him and you won't be disappointed. But Solomon's kingdom doesn't last. Solomon's wisdom seems to not quite be able to cut the mustard and create for us in the world, a kingdom that would last forever because where is it now? Well, it's gone, it's buried. There's, there's one little bit of war left of, of the third temple that was built after Solomon's temple. There's nothing left of it. It's dust and ashes. It's, it's actually, I mean, you don't even need to think of what's going on in Israel and that country now to see that things end in sadness, but just a couple of chapters later in the story of the kings and the, the, the gold shields that Solomon has rigged up in the temple and in his palace get robbed by an Egyptian king and they have to be replaced with bronze ones and it all just begins to lose its shine, literally. <laughs> For the moment, Solomon's place is an Eden, full of animals, full of so much gold that even the silver just lines the streets and paves it with, uh, with lumps of silver that they treat like rock. They're blowing their noses on kind of silver leaf banknotes. Um, it's an amazing place to live but it doesn't last. And isn't that what this world is like? All good things seem to come to an end. From dust you came, and to dust you shall return. Jesus says it famously in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says there's more treasure to be had. There's something solid to be had. There's a kingdom to be had that's going to outlast moths and dust and rust and death. There's something more solid, more precious, more lasting, more eternal, indestructible, that you can have. But you can't have it by Solomon's wisdom. It comes by a completely different kind of wisdom. And you have to go to another king to find it. You have to go to King Jesus, who we've mentioned. The link with the Queen of Sheba is that Jesus has also visited by people from the East. Do you remember the Christmas story? We don't know exactly how many, but wise people with big questions on their hearts, with big hopes, with echoes of rumours, of prophecies and, um, um, and promises, come from the east, bearing gifts of gold and spices to the king. But it's a very different kind of king, isn't he? They come to a little stable, a cave with a manger, with a little baby wrapped, who was born in poverty, and who lived in poverty all of his life, who never got married, let alone making alliance marriages with all the kings of the earth. Um, he grew up in, um, in a place where he would have had and picked up a foreign, kind of northern, slightly um, unacceptable, put you on the edge of society kind of accent. He grew up without that many followers, and when he did have crowds and crowds, eventually they melted away and he was only left with a few. In the end, only left when his life came to an end with his mother and a couple of other friends. Jesus lived a very different life to Solomon. He never led a great army on great conquests or anything. He rode into Jerusalem, his capital city, rode into it on a donkey, followed by children and women and people walking, holding palm branches and singing, not riding on majestic chariots, waving swords and spears around. And when they finally crowned him. They didn't crown him with gold. They put a purple robe on him but it was a joke and they crowned him with a crown of thorns and they didn't sit him on a throne. They nailed him to a cross and laid him in the dust of death and pierced his side so that his blood poured out. Jesus was a very different kind of king and yet God calls what Jesus did who Jesus is, God calls his death for us wisdom. It's in what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says Jesus, his life, very strange life for a king, and a very odd death if he's really God. I mean, can God even die? Jesus is the God-man who comes to be king and who dies for us, and God calls that wisdom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that for Jewish people, religious people, who have a very high view of God, that's Blasphemy, it's, it's a stumbling block. It's How can you ever believe such a thing, that God would come to die for you and that he would be king? And the Greeks, philosophical, clever, well-educated, people who love building majestic buildings and walking around in kind of golden palaces, they think it's foolishness, and of course it is. In the way of this world, in the way of Solomon's wisdom, which is logistical wisdom, zoological wisdom, political wisdom, like all of the kind of wisdom of this world that you can wrap together, It works for Solomon for a while, but it all goes to dust. For Jesus, the wisdom is turned the other way upside down. He starts in the dust, he starts in the mud, he starts with death and darkness and poverty and loneliness and being abandoned. He starts in injustice. He lays himself in the dust of death and it's from that that he rises on the third day to a kind of kingdom that will live forever, that is indestructible. You see, it's it's exactly the other way up to, to Solomon's and to this world's wisdom. There's many things that you can do with politics and with zoology and with biology and all the wonderful things that we know how to do in the world but you can't beat death you can't wash away sin you can't put relationships that you've broken back together again just by science and technology and progress and clever words you can't do it you need somebody you need god to come from the other side of history from heaven itself to come down to us and die for us that's wisdom It seems like craziness. It seems ridiculous to believe that God would rise again from the dead, that somebody could come back from death. It seems like foolishness, like something that, that you'd never bother even looking into. And yet, when you come to it, just like the Queen of Sheba, it'll take your breath away. In fact, it'll give you your breath back. Breath, life breath that will last into eternity. You give up your life and come to Jesus, and he might not look much to begin with. But you give up your life and you come to Jesus and you will have your arms, your heart, your body, your life, your world put back together again and filled up like you never imagined. It'll take your breath away and give you real lasting life breath forever. That's who Jesus is. That's where you find real wisdom. At the foot of the cross of the dying, crucified God. You would never have expected that, would you? Maybe you've got used to the shock of that, but it really is a very odd thing to believe. That God came down to earth, that's strange enough, that God would die for us, that's madness. That he would rise again on the third day to even undo death and give us life forever, that is something you would never have guessed. That's wisdom only God can give to you, so you've got to come to him to find it. Do you know Jesus? Have you come to the one who's wisdom walking in this world and had your life turned upside down? Had your life and your heart filled up. You need an awful lot more. We need an awful lot more in this world than politics or biology or medicine. Those things will do wonders for a while if you're wise with them, but they can't beat death. They can't put the world back together again. Only God can do that. Only Jesus, walking wisdom, can do that. I wonder if you know him. I wonder if you found him. Well, God loves Solomon, gives to him a wonderful world that gives us a taste of the future world under King Jesus. But Solomon's doesn't last forever um, because he loses himself. So we'll carry on to chapter 11. Shall we read a bit of this and um, see what happens to Solomon's? King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women, beside Pharaoh's daughter. That was his first wife Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, You must not intermarry with them. Not For racial reasons, there are actually plenty of Moabites and people from other countries who come and uh, become part of the people of Israel. So if it's not a racial thing, well, what is it? Well, you mustn't intermarry with them because they'll surely turn your hearts after their gods. That's why. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. As the heart of David his father had been, he followed Ashtoreth, the god of the Sidonians, that should send a shiver down your spine. He followed Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites, that should send an even bigger shiver down your spine. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, probably the Mount of Olives, in the face of the temple, that's God's house, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. Do you know what they did to worship those gods? They didn't just burn incense, they burned people, they sacrificed children. In the face of God, on the, on the Mount of Olives, just across the valley from Jerusalem. The blood of innocent people was shed in Solomon's peaceful garden kingdom. What was he doing? How did he get to that point? Well, the Lord became angry with Solomon. Of course he did. It's completely right to be angry with that sort of thing. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he'd forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, that's back in the beginning of chapter 9, Solomon didn't keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you haven't kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to, the one, to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him. But will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem which I've chosen." So Solomon comes under God's judgment. Solomon gets the consequences of his actions. What are his actions? Well, he marries lots of different wives, and that's bad enough. Um, it's actually quite sensible though. If you want to make allies with kingdoms around you, you want to keep the peace, then you marry their princesses. And Solomon did that, and it kept the peace for quite a while. And If you marry the princesses, you've got to keep them happy. And so you've got to get involved with their customs and let them do what they want to do. And and eventually, after he's old and tired of pushing back and saying no, Solomon just says, "Okay, fine, do what you want. And in fact, he does more than that. He helps them to build temples where they burn people. Temples where they go after other gods. And can you see what's happened? It says it over and over again. His heart was divided. He didn't follow God with his whole heart. He sort of half-worshipped God and still would go up to the temple and do what you did, but he also went to these other places. Solomon's wisdom in making peace with all the nations around him leads him to death, leads him to, to be un-Solomon. It leads him to be torn apart in his heart, and so that's the judgment that God gives to him, to tear his land apart and his family apart and his own heart is torn apart. You see, that's what happens when you turn away from the God who puts everything together, who created the world. Well, the world will fall apart. It'll be torn. You turn away from the God who made us, each one of us, and put us together. Well, then we'll start to fall apart from each other. We'll be torn, and relationships get torn. And you turn away from the God who put you together, body and soul, and of course you'll feel torn within, and you'll never know who you really are. You look within to try and find out who you are and all you'll find are desires going in different directions at different times of day depending on how much sleep you've had or whether you've eaten or not and as the advert says you're not you when you're hungry you are i am a different person at different times of day and and so our society is confused maybe you're confused about who am i really and what am i here to do and we keep on going on journeys or taking courses at university or reading books or listening to podcasts or doing whatever we can to try and look within, to try and find somebody to help us to know who I really am and what I'm here for. And the answer all along, you can see in the story of Solomon that he knew who he was and he was doing what was right. He was doing what was good for himself, for the people, for the world. When his heart was completely fixed on God, when his eyes were fixed on him, when his ears were listening into him, when his arms were outstretched towards his temple, even when he'd failed, That's what Solomon prayed about in chapter nine, um, sorry, chapter eight. Lord, when we fail, when we look to you and stretch our hands to you, would you answer and come back and fix us? And God said, yes, of course I will. But now Solomon's drifted and it seems like he never comes back. Solomon is torn in his heart. Um, It's a pun on his own name, by the way, that word tear that comes up three times in the second half of what I read. It has the same consonants in Hebrew. If you looked at it in Hebrew script, it almost looks like the same word as Solomon's name kind of S-M-L, those kind of consonant letters. The vowels are different, so they're different words, but it's a pun in the way that it's written. So you see that Solomon is being torn apart. He's, he becomes un-Solomon. In the rest of the story in chapter 11, he begins to get worse and worse and worse. And his enemies who God raises up and start causing trouble in Israel, um, one's from kind of cousin kingdom, one's from far, far away, a Gentile kingdom, and one is from within, an enemy within. Solomon begins to look like all the worst enemies that Israel have ever had. He begins to look like Saul and he's chasing innocent people around, trying to kill them. And he begins to look like Pharaoh and he's enslaving people and chasing them around, <laughs> trying, to, trying to kill them. And he begins to look like the Canaanites, sacrificing to other gods and, and, and pouring out innocent blood. Solomon loses himself and he doesn't know who he is anymore. We begin to not recognize him because he's not wise in the right way anymore. He's kind of following wisdom, but it's Proverbs 14 verse 12 wisdom, which says this, Solomon wrote these words, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And Solomon had walked that way, hadn't listened to his own advice, had wandered away from God. His heart had been split and now everything was was shredding down into dust and ashes again. Why? Because his heart was divided. He was far from God. Started with an alliance here, a marriage there, a little chink in the armour, a little direction change away from God. And, and by this time, by the time he's old, he's miles away. His heart is so cold and dead and divided that can't seem to be put back together again. But could it have been put back together again? Because in this story, another king is mentioned who did some pretty awful stuff. And... God says that he had an undivided heart. Did you hear that? It's a bit of a funny one in the story, isn't it? As Solomon grew old, his wife, verse 11 verse 4, his wife um, his wife's turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. It's torn. As the heart of David, his father had been. As in, David's heart had been fully devoted to the Lord and Solomon wasn't. And it says it again in verse 6. Solomon did evil, didn't follow the Lord completely as David had done. But how can you say that about David. Because if you know the story of David, you'll know that he had plenty of wives, not quite as many as Solomon, but he had a a lot. He also committed adultery with a woman called Bathsheba and had her husband murdered and covered it up. How can somebody like that, who does stuff like that, be, be called someone who has a heart devoted to God? Have you forgotten God that he did all of that? Have you forgotten the kind of man that David could be at times? And the answer to that question is yes, but not in the way we might think. God hasn't forgotten it as if it doesn't matter anymore, and he was just looking on the bright side of David's character on a good day. No, God had forgotten David's sins in the sense that he'd remembered his sins no more. He'd washed them away. He'd forgiven them, because David, when he realizes what he's done, when he realizes his heart's been divided and he is wandering from God, he prays Psalm 51. If you don't know that, you should go and read it. And take it to your own heart and pray it today. David is somebody who has a whole heart devoted to God not because um, he never made any mistakes. His heart is wholly devoted to God and shows that in that when he sinned, when he did really dark things, he came back to God, to the God who could heal and forgive, who could put his heart right, who could set him back on the right path and bring him home But sadly, we don't have a Psalm 52 written by Solomon. We don't have record of Solomon turning back to God. The story ends with him trying to chase down one of his enemies and then he dies. Looking like a Saul, looking like a Pharaoh, looking like a Canaanite idol worshiper. And I hope he came back eventually. I'd love to meet him one day and talk to him, but maybe not. Solomon at this point really does seem to be under the judgment of God. Reaping the, the really um, predictable, right, but very sad consequences of his actions. His heart's turned away from God, and so of course he doesn't have peace with God. He's always at war with himself. His heart's turned away with from God, and so of course there's relationship difficulties, and social fabric begins to decay. His heart's turned away from God, and the, there's no peace in the land and in the world anymore. And he's failed as a king. He's not the one we're hoping for. So how can you be fixed? How can you be a David? If you read Psalm 51, how can you know that God will welcome you and bring you back home and put your heart back together again? If you pray that kind of thing, how do you know? Well, because of King Jesus, the answer is in him again. Because he came into this world with an undivided heart and it never was drawn away after other things. When he was tempted by Satan himself in the wilderness, he never gave in. When he had all sorts of things... Catching his attention, when he was tempted as we are, he was without sin. His heart was never divided, and yet he went to the cross and was torn apart for you and me. He goes to the cross and there's a great earthquake as he dies. The earth seems to, to be torn. The, the sun goes dark and the whole fabric of creation seems to be torn. His body's literally torn as he's on the cross. Pierced for our sins. And his relationship with the Father is somehow mysteriously torn as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus is taking what we deserve. He's being torn so we'd be put back together again. He's being torn so we'd know peace with God. That's what Solomon's name means. Jesus is the true Solomon who really does bring peace in our hearts with God, who gives us new hearts, promises that in lots of different places in Scripture. Jeremiah 32, you could look it up, promises a new heart. Promises that we'll be born again is another way of putting it. Promises that that we'll be put back together, that he'll give us breath in our lungs, life eternal, life as it should be, life in all of its fullness as we come to the one who poured out his life for us. So he gives us peace with God because he's the king of peace. He gives us peace with each other as we learn to forgive each other, just like God has forgiven us. So the tears that there are between us and our loved ones, he begins to knit back together and make us one. People from all sorts of different tribes and tongues and nations and who've done all sorts of horrible things to each other can forgive each other and know peace with each other. So he puts us together in ourselves with God. He puts us together together in our community and he puts us together with the world under our feet. Or he one day will. He one day will. Put everything back together again. Because he was pulled apart for us. We're being made whole. He's the great physician. He knows our hearts because he invented them. So he's the one to come and do the surgery and put us back together again. One of the great uh, church fathers of all, a man called Augustine says, that God has made us for himself and our hearts are never at rest until they find their rest in him. I wonder if you are resting in him today. I wonder if you know who you really are. Solomon lost himself. Solomon became Saul, became Pharaoh, became who knows all sorts of people, but he wasn't the king of peace anymore. His heart was divided. He was torn. And he wasn't himself anymore. You're not yourself. You're not who you really could be if you don't know God. You see, don't look inside yourself. Don't look at anything in this world to try and find out who you really are, to try and find wisdom for what you should do. You need to look up and know Jesus. You need to look to your maker and you'll find yourself. Solomon Solomon did in his early days, as David did in his latter days, when he turned back to God and repented after everything he'd done. David found himself and was put back together again. And and so can you be. God knows who you are because he made you. He knows your heart because he made it. And he made your heart to have rest in him. So will you rest in him? Will you come to him today? Will you come and say, Lord, I'm a mess. I've done all sorts of things. I've chased wisdom in all sorts of the wrong places. I've tried to find who I am and work out what I should do. In every place and under every... um, Every guru except you. Lord, would you forgive me? Would you bring me back? Would you put me together again and give me a heart that's one, a heart that's undivided? So let's pray as we finish. Psalm 86. Let me read you and we'll take them on our lips as a prayer. Psalm 86. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I'm devoted to you. You are my God, save your servant. Who trusts in you? Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long, bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call on you. Hear my prayer, O Lord, teach me your way, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart. Give me an undivided heart, that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart and glorify your name forever. Amen. Amen.